right Wednesday the 16th right smack in the middle of the uh, winter school which is uh, in the face of God and we've really been in the face of God one way or another um, thank you <laughs> I want to welcome those of you who haven't been before um, hope you enjoy today or however much you can stay for um, so welcome welcome enjoy and while I was looking for something else this morning um, I found a prophecy that came out around about 2003-2004 while I was at one of Graham Cook's uh, prophetic schools and it's about the warfare of intimacy I think we touched on it uh, yesterday either in, in conversation or uh, it was on the CD I can't remember because so much happens during a time like this but there is a warfare for intimacy with God as soon as you decide that you want to go for gold with God you want to be full on and you want to spend time with him the warfare will start and this a prophetic word is headed up warfare of intimacy and the first bit is hand-to-hand -hand combat in the vision initially <clears throat> I saw Satan and myself in hand-to-hand -hand combat now tomorrow if the Lord will we're actually going to look at Psalm 91 but we're actually going to look at spiritual warfare that is what it's going to be revolving around that he is our fortress and our high tower and how to wage a good warfare so that is what we're going to be looking at so in the vision initially I saw Satan and myself in hand-to-hand -hand combat we were face to face circling one another like boxers in a boxing ring were engulfed in a cloud of dark smoke and fog we were not touching one another yet there was a battle taking place the smoke was so thick that I could hardly keep a visual on him so most of my concentration and focus was set on keeping him in my sights as this was happening I felt like the Lord showed me that this is one of the enemy's most effective strategies waged against the intercessor, the warrior and the church. If he can keep you in a cloud of confusion, if he can keep your focus on trying to find him, if he can keep you in hand-to-hand -hand combat, then he can keep control of you. Come up higher, the Lord said. Intercession and warfare as you have known it is changing. Then I heard the Lord say, come up higher. I found myself leaving the confusion of battle and entering into the presence of the Lord. As this happened I looked down and I could see Satan searching aimlessly in the fog for his opponent. The Lord then said to me, intercession and warfare as you've known it is changing. There is a warfare that I'm calling my intercessors, warriors and worshippers too. It is the warfare of intimacy. This warfare of intimacy takes place at a much higher level than the warfare that has been waged in the second heaven. The hand-to-hand -hand combat has been necessary to battle through the dark places in order to enter the next realm with the Lord. Now, however, because of the groundwork that's been laid, the Lord is extending an, in an invitation for his bride to come up into this place of warfare of intimacy. I saw Jesus, the intercessor, according to scripture, sitting at the throne of God, offering intercession on our behalf. It was out of relationship and love that his intercession was released, and it was with such tenderness, peace and gentleness, totally different than any intercession or warfare I'd ever been involved with or even seen before. I mean, some of us in the charismatic church have known some way out stuff for spiritual warfare. I've never really been able to get a handle on it myself because I've never really understood what people were doing, you know, pulling down strongholds and one thing and another. And as Graham Cook says, when you pull it down, who did it fall on, you know? <coughs> Just a thought. As we move beyond the clamour and clatter of the hand-to-hand -hand battles, as we move out of the smoke and dark clouds, as we move into his presence and into his courts of intimacy, then he says that confusion will be sent to the enemy's camp because the battle will be his, that's the Lord's. Then I began to see intercessors and worshippers together around the throne of God. Intercessors were interceding and worshippers were worshipping with tremendous unity. In so much unity, in fact, that intercessors became worshippers and worshippers became intercessors. All that I beheld in this place of worship was characterised by an incredible intimacy with the Father. 
Then the Lord said that he's braiding together the intercessor, the worshipper and the prophetic, that he is weaving them into one single fabric. They will be different, yet the same. The worshipper will still have the characteristics of a worshipper, and the intercessor will still have the characteristics of an intercessor. Yet as they come together under a greater prophetic anointing, they will complement one another's strong points and flow together in a unique unity. As praise teams and intercessors come together and yield to the Spirit of the Lord, they will find a greater prophetic release and a stronger sense of God's presence upon their churches and services. The intimacy between the bride and bridegroom will increase, and as the enemy searches through the smoke for someone to fight, the Father will continue to send more and more confusion into his camp. Finally, the Lord showed me that since the time of Lucifer, the worship leader of heaven, the one that was created specifically for worship was cast down, the Father has been without the fullness of that part of his creation. Even though we worship in spirit and in truth, even though we come boldly before his throne, that position has never been refilled, it's been left vacant for ages. But the Lord says not any longer. It has been reserved for a time, for a season, and for a people such as this. It's not because there haven't been worshippers, or there haven't been intercessors, or there haven't been people after God's own heart. It's because these three ingredients have had to come together, time, season, and people. Worshipper, intercessor, cessor, and the prophetic, they're all coming together for the glory of God. The Lord is saying that he is now filling that forfeited position that Satan once held with you, the intimate worshipper and the intimate intercessor and the prophetic. And in doing this, the Lord is going to use the very thing Satan was created for and the position he once held to defeat him. The Lord is saying that it's time for the church to have home court advantage. Don't get me wrong, there will be times of hand-to-hand warfare and just scrapping it out with the enemy. But now it will be done on our terms, not his. Glory to God. Mm. That's a completely different aspect of looking at things, isn't it? Do you remember getting one of these, uh, Ham, when we were there? Sometimes, of course, these things take time to come to pass. Uh, and God moves in his church and he's moving people about. And uh, we know the effect that, that uh, music has. And, and, of course, one of the reasons why music is so important is that it was the thing that Lucifer held in heaven. That's why he works so much through secular music. The power of the beat and the rap and all the stuff um, is what he works through st- even st- still now. So take that on board. <laughs> so, um, outline program. And you know what it's like. It never goes according to plan, does it? Um, I've got something to sort of teach on this morning, um, but I want you to ask the Lord for a few things, and uh, some of the things I've mentioned already, um, but this is just like um, to get you to, to remember what it is I'm, I'm after you approaching him for. Um, an inheritance word, if you don't have one, start asking for one. An inheritance word is the word for you right now in the season that you are in, where you are with God right now. And everything you can get out of that word is yours. Um, Looking back on my Christian walk, I can see that I've had inheritance words at various times and I hadn't understood what they were there for. I didn't understand. All I knew was they jumped out of the scriptures at me and they, they stayed with me. Um, and in, for instance as I was with Moses so I will be with you no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life Graham Cook said once I'd like that one I thought I've had that one but I didn't know what I've got to do with it um, I had another one uh, when Moses said if your presence doesn't go with us take us not up hence if you're not going with us I don't want to go and I had that for years and years and years the same scripture but I didn't know what it was um, and also uh, Abraham's one I'm your shield and your exceeding great reward didn't understand a thing didn't understand a thing these were scriptures that just were there with me I live in with 
So if, as I'm talking, you're thinking, wow, that's what that scripture's about then. That's why it keeps coming to me. That's what it is. It's your inheritance word. And so you need to be start writing that out, praying over it, asking the Lord what he wants to, for you to suck out of it. Everything you can is yours. Uh, Graham Cook um, uh, had Psalm 91, and I think it was for six months that... Um, some, that, could someone close the office door, please? That would be really helpful. Thank you. Um, for six months he had um, Psalm 91, and the Lord said, I just want you to read Psalm 91. Thank you. Um, and one, one day he got a bit bored with reading Psalm 91, so he thought, I'll have a bit of Tim. So he went over into Timothy, and he couldn't focus his eyes. And I says, luckily I've got a bit of string in Psalm 91. So he opened up again and the Lord said to him, Graham, I've got, you've got, I want you to get this. I want you to get what is being said in Psalm 91. Um, you're all probably familiar with it. Um, I just read it now because it's always a blessing to, to, to have it read over you. Mine set it up, abiding in the shadow of the Almighty. And of course, this, what this week is all about is staying there in the presence of God. What I'm going to do as I go along in the first couple of verses is to just expand for you uh, the names of God who are, that's mentioned here. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, that is El El Yon, the possessor of heaven and earth. you find that in Genesis, when Melchizedek met Abraham shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, literally El Shaddai, the breasted one, the nurturer, the sustainer. I will say of the Lord, that's Yahweh, the self-existent one, what we, we transliterate as Jehovah. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, Elohim, the most powerful of all the powerful ones. So in that one verse, two verses there, you've got four different names for God, each one expressing more of his character and who he is. So you want to be in the presence of the one who is the possessor of heaven and earth, the one who is the nurturer, the supplier of everything you need, the self-existent one and the most powerful of all the powerful ones. That's a bit nice. My God, in him will I trust. Surely, absolutely, he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. My son went to Sri Lanka some years ago on the rebound from um, a relationship with a, a girlie. They broke up and just before Christmas, on the rebound, off he went to Sri Lanka. Well, I knew nothing about anything. He just got a flight and went. What I didn't know was he hadn't had any injections, anything at all. He'd just gone completely uncovered, no malaria, no nothing. So the first day he's there, he decides to go in this uh, rather brown-looking lake, he told me, at the back of the hotel. <laughs> to go water skiing, you know, the lovely brownie, paley, creamy brown water that they have out there. So the first thing that happens is he falls off, he takes a mouthful, and down he goes. So he swallows this mouthful, because he couldn't help it, goes back to the hotel, lays on his bed, and prepares to meet his maker, because he <laughs> thought, that's it, I'm done. And then he put his hand out to the bedside table, he opened it, and there was a Gideon's Bible there, and he opened it up, and he saw nor the pestilence that walks in the darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. And he said, oh, that's all right then. <laughs> Jumped out of bed <laughs> and went on with his holiday. Totally believed what he saw. He never had any, any repercussions of that. I mean, I didn't know anything of this until he came home, which point I probably went nearly bald in one go. Let alone grey overnight. 
So he just took that word of God and thought, oh, that's okay then. So I typed out for him some time ago when he was going abroad somewhere, Psalm 91. I said, stick it in your back pocket, dear, it's yours. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you've made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your habitation, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you. That's the result of making the Lord your refuge. Nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They shall bear you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he set his love on me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. With long life will I satisfy him, and show him my salvation. When my son was first marriage was breaking up because he was playing fast and loose after three months of being married, <coughs> the scripture that God gave me was that last one. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver him and honour him. And I just held on to that because everything was rocking and shaking as far as Stephen was concerned. Um, so that's why I say that Psalm 91 is his. One of these days he'll, he'll understand it. So, inheritance words, powerful stuff. Second question you want to ask him is what he wants to be to and for you in this current season. He wants to be something for you in this season. As I said to you the other day, right now I'm understanding the Holy Spirit as comforter. But he, I've known him as my confidence. And right now I'm running the two together. <laughs> confidence and comforter. So just ask him, what do, you, what do you want to be for me? Because whatever situation you're in, he wants to be something for you. And the third question, what fruit of the Spirit does he want to grow in your life this year? Because all your tests will be around that. If he wants to grow patience, then it spells it with a T. Cartload of trouble, and that will give you patience. And the fourth thing is, we talked about it in the first session, I think, about upgrading your image of God. We're on this journey. We cannot stay in the same place with him because he's going to take us from one degree of glory to another and he's going to need us to know him in a different way in a different season. If you can, you need to upgrade your image before you get into the next season so that you're actually not in it and finding, not finding your feet. He needs to be bigger for you in whatever is coming against you. Anything that we're going through right now is in order that God will be bigger for us. Uh, a good book for that one is The Nature of God, uh, that little green one in the middle there. I've um, got a few of those. They're four pounds a throw. So that's a good one to have because Graham talks about how to do that. <coughs> We should be constantly wanting to upgrade our, our image of God. See, we, we have to be active in this business. Uh, we can't help it. So that's your bit of homework for today and tomorrow. Uh, so remember that we are on a journey into God's heart and on a journey into maturity, to fullness, to sonship. From, as I said yesterday, from Nepios, which is a child without speech, to Huios, which is a fully mature son. And God's looking for fully mature sons. Um, recapping now on Monday, we looked at what it was to have a new song. How when God reveals himself to us afresh, he puts a new song in our mouths. And we looked at returning to our first love. In Revelation, the Lord said, the bride has left her first love. And we looked at returning to a passion for Jesus. We also explored the possibility that Jesus has a well-supplied but love-starved bride. And I use the example of a woman who's got everything. Um, she's got a, um, a husband, a car, a family, a good job, a designer clothes in the wardrobe, but she doesn't know him. She actually doesn't know her husband. I'm describing myself before I got divorced. I had all those things. 
but I didn't know my husband. Married to him for 25 years and never knew the man. Uh, so we can be like that. Uh, as I said on uh, whenever it was Monday, how many of us know that we can have children without having intimacy? We can perform the sexual act without having intimacy. We don't know one another. These superficialities can happen. And so we can go to church, we can call ourselves Christians, we can have some sort of a walk with God, but it's not intimate. So we're like a love-starved bride because we've actually got no intimacy with Jesus. Well supplied, well provided for, thriving ministry, answers to prayer. But if she doesn't know him, she's starved. Love-starved. So God's rectifying that. He's gonna, as Graham said last night on that CD, he's gonna, he's gonna run after you. So you might as well let yourself be caught. Stand still and let him catch you. So yesterday we saw, interestingly, when we had the bread of the presence here and the candlestick, that not only are we beholding and becoming Him and therefore becoming like Him, but He is gazing upon us. And He turned it round yesterday morning to say that I'm looking at you too. Um, which was a twist that those of you who were here God just gave me yesterday morning that I hadn't looked at before the fact that he is looking at us as we gaze on him and he constantly looks at our hearts to see where our love is is it totally fixed on him or is it shared is he our first love and we saw that our will was pivotal in our walk and in the afternoon we looked at what we behold or look at we will become and we talked about gazing on him and I said you know sometimes you see people and they look like they're dogs don't they mm -hmm. and uh, whatever you gaze on you're going to look like so we are gazing on him to become transformed into his image so we could say that he wants three things from us he wants to see our face that's the song of songs I think verse uh, uh, ch chapter 2 verse 14b let me see your face he says to her he wants time with us he wants communion many of us love God but don't want to be with him because we're not actually comfortable in his presence and if this is you today be bold and go into the presence and ask him why you don't want to spend time with him what is it you're afraid of it's the garden isn't it I hid I ran I hid because I was afraid we got that legacy uh, from Adam even though we're born again we can still run away from him and that we discovered that he desires our unshared love that he's jealous for us not of us he doesn't want our love because he's capricious but because until he has our unshared love it's mixed with eros and it's impure towards him and everyone else Remember that Eros is love with a hook. It wants to hook in on something. It's what we're born with. And God is wanting to straighten out that hook and cause us to walk in his agape love, which asks nothing but gives everything. That's his nature. Everything we give him, he will multiply. We do not lose something when we give him anything. We gain what he gives us in return. Good measure, pressed down, running together, into your lap. Anne McGill, who was here, I think, on uh, last week, last week yeah. she's now come to the place where she's giving up smoking and she's reading a book and it says the first rule that you need to know when you're giving up an addictive substance is that you aren't giving up something, you are getting something. And I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Because if you look at, if you're on a diet, if you look at the fact you're giving up something, not getting something, you immediately want what you're trying to give up. Uh, and this book was saying, no, you're not giving up something. What you're, you're, it's what you're getting, freedom from addiction. So it turns the whole thing completely around, turns your thinking around. I don't doubt she's going to be successful this time because she's tried, bless her heart, many, many times to give it up. Um... I don't, she was an alcoholic I know and went to AA and got free from that uh, but the smoking she just couldn't kick uh, but it seems to be now that it's her time and her will has come into alignment with God she said I really want to now she's tried it before but she didn't actually want to give it up and I thought well you're wasting your time sweetheart sucking your nicorette because if you don't want to give it up you never will 
Our will has got to be engaged behind it. That's why it says in the scriptures that God is in us both to will and to do. He gets our will to come into alignment with what he wants us to do and then pushes us in that direction. So our thinking is skewed if we think that to give something to God is a loss. It's all about living in this life in the spirit. You remember we began to look at what it meant to live in the spirit, not in our emotions or our feelings. It's all about being intentional towards him and putting the first commandment first. Remembering that if he asks us to do something, he always gives us the wherewithal to do it. Someone said last night, I don't think I could do X, Y and Z, whatever it was. And I said, if he asks you to do it, he'll give you what you need. It doesn't say, you know, go and dig a hole and give you no shovel. He will always give you what he's asking of you. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Can't do it, Lord. No, I know. Have my love. Then you will be able to love me with everything you have. So the receiving as his love comes first so as we can give it back to him. It's no good us straining to love him in our natural selves. We cannot do it. Just cannot do it. He always gives us what we need. We love because he first loved us. And we're learning to be the beloved in order that we can come into a reciprocal relationship. Loving him with the love he gives us. Eros just will not cut it. He's hungry for us. He won't let us go. He's chasing us. So uh, let's allow ourselves to be caught, eh? Mm -hmm. We'll be talking in a minute about um, cycles of intimacy. And I'm picking out two. I'm picking out the life cycle and the cycle of uh, transformation because I'm in the two at the moment and I know I'm in them uh, so they're easy to talk about because I know where I'm at um, and what this little chart is is describing what happens when w the word revelation on the left hand side is when you get a word from God a prophetic word about your destiny which is manifestation on the right hand side uh, you think that you're going to immediately come into the manifestation but what actually happens is you go then into an ebb and flow of transformation and confrontation uh, God cons consistently confronts you with things in your life that are going to bring your character up as you'll see in a minute to the manifestation of the word that you've had and sometimes you get to retake your test you see in the middle there uh, little going round and round in circles you just go round and round and round so you go from your being to your doing and that goes on all the time up and down from your being to your doing you get your pruning, you're in the ebb, you're in the flow uh, there is this movement within your life in God and so the character goals which is the top right hand corner is to know him to be conformed to his nature and have a measure of rule that's what coming into your inheritance is all about I'm always saying to you, he won't put you in the Lamborghini before you've mastered a tricycle. Uh, the ministry goals are to be secure in him, to grow in faith, and again to have a measure of rule or authority. But these are all God-given. When it goes pear-shaped is when man takes or puts himself in a place of, of authority that God has not given. Uh, and then instead of the sheep getting fed and looked after and nurtured and released into their destinies, they're actually downtrodden and harmed and hurt and starved and whatever. Because usually there is a degree of control comes in because there is insecurity in the leadership. And I'm not getting at anything in particular, I'm just saying to you that is the way it is. So this really is a road map of what your life is like in the spirit um, you're heading along there and every time you're on the top of the mountain you think well hey I can see it but what you forget is there's a valley down there <laughs> and all of a sudden all you're confronted with is another mountain um, so you go climbing up that and on, on the way you get these prophetic words some confirm what you're already doing some will be fulfilled within a very short space of time 
But most often, the revelation that you had that was a really significant one, the word you had from him at the beginning, takes 20 years <laughs> to come to fruition. Um, so this is, this is ha- what you can expect as you go on in God, and this is so that you may understand and say, where am I, Lord? Am I in my being, or am I, am I in my hiddenness, which is what the H means at the top there, or am I in my manifestation? Am I in the valley or am I on the, on the mountain top? When you're on the mountain top, you can't imagine what it's like to be down in the valley. Oh, it's all swinging, it's lovely. And suddenly, God lets you down into a cesspit and you think, how did Anyway, be that as it may, as they say. Just want to read something from that. Anybody know Oswald Chambers? My utmost desires. Anyone have that one? No? It's a good thing to start, you know, I'm always fussing with um, what people read, what they take in. Um, these older writers like Oswald Chambers, Andrew Murray, A.W. Tozer, these men knew God and they wrote as a distillation of their walk with him and their words are gems. Uh, Ian's just brought a book back that it, it just gripped you, didn't it? Um, by Andrew Murray, wasn't it? School of Prayer, was it? Mm. And they can teach us so much. An awful lot of what passes for Christian, Christian literature these days, you can find out what it's all about by reading the synopsis on the back. You'd have to buy the book, because they have had a revelation, and then the next 300 pages, they just repeat it right the way through. There is not the time spent. There is no quality of their walk with the Lord. It's just, oh, off the top of my head, and I'll give you that. There's no depth. Um, This is why the prophetic is so important, because the prophetic stands in the presence of God, speaks when God tells them to, and if he doesn't, then chops a... Got a zipper on them. So Oswald Chambers... 28th of January. I'm just going with what I feel the Holy Spirit is saying. I was talking, wasn't I? And I talked from time to time about the difference between Eros and Agape love. And this passage actually highlights some of the difficulties that we face in our walk with God and what I would call our old nature love, which is Eros. And the scripture that he's using here is Acts 26.14. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And there's a sort of a list of questions really. Am I set on my own way for God? We are never free from this snare until we're brought into the experience of the baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire. Obstinacy and self-will will always stab Jesus Christ. It may hurt no one else, but it wounds his spirit. Whenever we are obstinate and self-willed and set on our own ambitions, we are hurting Jesus. Every time we stand on our own rights and insist that this is what we intend to do, we are persecuting Jesus. Whenever we stand on our dignity, we systematically vex and grieve his spirit. And when the knowledge comes home that it's Jesus whom we've been persecuting all the time, it's the most crushing revelation there could be. Is the word of God tremendously keen to me as I hand it on to you? Or does my life give the lie to the things I profess to teach? I may teach sanctification and yet exhibit the spirit of Satan, the spirit that persecutes Jesus. The Spirit of Jesus is unconscious, is conscious of one thing only, a perfect oneness with the Father. And he says, Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. All I do ought to be founded on a perfect oneness with him, not on a self-willed determination to be godly. This will mean that I can be easily put upon, easily overreached, easily ignored. But if I submit to it for his sake, I prevent Jesus Christ being persecuted. What he's saying is, you have no rights (laughs) and you have to submit to being put upon, ignored and overreached in his old 
way of saying it. So we will be looking at some stage, I'm sure, about the difference um, between Agape and Eros, but there's seven giants, as uh, Bob Mumford puts it, I think there are more, but these will do for a start, um, that we bump up against in our old nature. The first one is look good, which is maintaining your outward show, standing on your dignity, making sure you put on a face for other people so that you're, they're not actually seeing who you are. You are wanting to portray something totally the world. It's all about image, totally. The second one is feel good. That's a, a hedonistic, sensual, pleasure-seeking outlook. Want the good things. Be right, obstinate and self-willed. <laughs> of one of our leaders. Oh well, be first, be right, and be something around. Oh, I think she had it really. Stay in control. Um, that is a self-willed determination to be godly or to keep control of everything that's going on around you. And that will end up by you using other people. Number five, personal advantage. You've got your own ambitions. What's in it for me? Number six, having a hidden agenda. I'm going to do my own thing for God. Or if you're in a church somewhere, you're actually working so that... Uh, you may get something. You actually want the position that somebody else is holding, but you're appearing to go along with it. You've got a hidden agenda. Remain undisturbed. That one is unwilling to be inconvenienced. And uh, a friend of ours, I think I was talking about it earlier on, um, she came and stayed here and got a bit stuck, and I, I gave her these seven jars to look at, and she came to me and said, it's number two, this feel good. I know what it is. I like my comfort. I like my pleasure. I like the good things. I like this. So at least she made a diagnosis. It surprised me because I had no idea. I just showed it to her because I thought, well, maybe you'll be able to find out what it is that you're stuck on. You know, that I would go and stay with her and she'd say, um, you know, we're, I mean, I'm on a pension, go to the second-hand shop for my clothes. I'm not one that can go out and spend a lot of money. I don't have it. Oh, we must go to that tea shop. It's absolutely beautiful. It's, it's exquisite. And I think, I haven't got money for exquisite tea rooms. <laughs> and usually, it was just what I would call, it's all front. If you go, it's just, aren't we all having the most wonderful time? It was all just play acting, just, just play acting, and it, I, I, I couldn't cope with it. <laughs> so I'd make an excuse not to go. So that's hedonistic, doing what the world does. Uh, the world thinks it's enjoying itself, but it isn't actually. I don't know if it, it, it relates to any of you here, but before I was saved, and I racketed around a bit. Um, I was doing what I thought everybody else did and enjoyed. So I started to do it, like sleeping around. And I thought, it must be enjoyable because they're all doing it, but I'm doing it and I don't actually find it very enjoyable. And I, it was at that point that I probably realised that what they appear to be enjoying is just an appearance. There's nothing deeper, lasting in it at all. It's a moment's pleasure, and then you feel a bit sick. Uh, and that was the way that it felt to me. I'd watch them coming and going, and even God must have been working in me then. And I'd think, what is this all about? Where are they? What is this all about? You know, on the motorway, people travelling, they're going, where are they going? What's the what are they doing? had a crisis. Anyway, the Lord saved me from that. Come in number four, he said, your time's up. That was that. So God is shaking us in these days and everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And it doesn't feel good. Like the Dust Bowl prophecy, the ones that are in it, it doesn't feel good. But the result will be good. 
So Joyce and I are in our own little shaken and dust storm at the moment, but we will come through that. You, there is a um, number one rule. This is Rick Joyner. He was apparently, um, he trained um, pilots. He was very, very good and, and trained pilots uh, in uh, flight techniques. And he tells the story of um, never fly into a storm. But when you do, because <laughs> of course storms come, don't they? Hold your course. Don't turn to the left or the right. Keep going straight. Because if you turn left or right, you'll keep going round in the storm. So Joycey and I are in a storm, so we keep going straight. Every time we pray about it, keep going. Just keep doing what you're doing. Don't stop anything. Keep going and we're going. <laughs> Keep going. Okay. <clears throat> right. So, we'll have a little look at cycles of intimacy. Let's see how far we get to this. So, I'm going to pray again. And ask the Lord to define where we are in the cycles. Where else would we go? Father. Father, I pray that you will define where we are in the cycles. Lord, help us to understand that you do not think in a straight line. Because everything begins and ends with you. Father, we want to be just happy where we are with you right now. We want to find the touch of you, Father. We want to understand where we are. We want to understand what's happening so that you will define our lives at this stage. So I pray through the meagerness of my words, Lord God, that wherever we are at the moment, let your wisdom come upon us. Let fresh revelation come upon us, Father. That we may have the time to sit down and write a few things to ourselves. A little message to say, this is where I am. And Lord, help us to enjoy you helping us to find you. I know that you're hiding right close by. So Lord, could we detect your fragrance? Help us to see you out the corner of our eye. Father, let our hearts beat a bit faster when we see you. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. And first of all, I have to give all credit to Graham, of course, for this teaching, which I first heard some ten years ago uh, at Southampton, one of his conferences. And uh, since then, I've been putting into practice what he said. Uh, so what I'm teaching today, is, you might say, has been fired in the crucible of my experience. If we go on experiencing the same thing, we go on going around the same cycles, because each time, as I said to you about Graham's teaching, it hasn't changed, but it's got deeper, because he goes deeper and deeper into the heart of God, knows the Lord more and more and more all the time. So every time he'll teach on something, he knows God more. And so that is what comes out. Though you may think, well, I've heard this, but actually we've got to live it. So we are finite beings trying to interact with an infinite God. And we think in straight lines and fixed points. We're consecutive in what we do. And what I mean by this is we start and finish a book. We begin and end our workday. We look forward to something. We look back on something. We measure our progress by time and result. We work to deadlines. And when we travel, we have a point of departure and a point of arrival. We're linear in what we do. As I said the other day, Roger Price always used to say that God invented time so we could have a three-minute egg. Because he's outside of time. And we're like, if you could imagine being outside of time uh, and being in a round room, the whole of time is round the walls here. And God can look at any time, in time, uh, the whole of the time of the world and everything that's to come and can pinpoint just exactly what he wants because he stands outside of it all. So he's not the same as us in this. He is simultaneous 
and circular and he's doing lots of things at once. He doesn't look for the beginning and the end because he is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. Everything begins in him and ends with him. So when something begins in our life it has a beginning in God and it can only be accomplished when it ends up in God. So God is spherical and circular because he's outside time and space. And his purpose can be accomplished as soon as it is conceived because all things are complete in him. Everything is real the moment God speaks it. If you've got a word from him, it's real. You'll hear in the healing ministry, you know, that someone has a word about their healing, but it's not yet come. That is like this um, chart that I gave you just now. There's the word spoken, but the manifestation right at the other end there takes some time to come. I've got a lump on the back of my neck. He's going to heal it, I know he is, but the healing has not come yet. So people will say, well, what's, where's your healing in that? Well, it's been spoken. I'm in time, he's outside of it. As far as he's concerned, it's done already. So the way to do it is to start thanking him for what he's already done. This is where we come from, um, we were talking about it the other day, weren't we, about position and petition, and then going from proclamation to declaration. Because when you become sure of what God is going to do, you start to declare it rather than pray for it. So you're moving into a let there be, rather than a please, can, could we have? You're, you're going that way through the whole procedure. But it has to be hearing from him at each level and each time what you can actually ask for uh, and what you can declare and proclaim out. So everything's real the moment he speaks it. If you've got a word from him, it's real. There's that lovely story with, of uh, Smith Wigglesworth and the lady with the goiter. You know what that is, the thyroid thing? Huge lamp. Went to the Smith Wigglesworth meeting. He prayed for her, still there. Walked away, went home and said to her parents, Isn't it wonderful? I'm healed. What do you mean? Still got that there. So a year goes by, still there. The, and her mother said, For goodness sake, will you go and look in the mirror? Just look at you, it's still there, it's a nonsense. Because she's all the while saying, isn't it wonderful God's healed me? Isn't it wonderful he's healed me? You're not looking straight, dear, it's still there. So when she goes to bed that night, she says, Father, I know it's done, but they don't. Can you tell them? So when she wakes up in the morning, it's gone. <laughs> there is a, sometimes a time lag. It's like when uh, Jesus laid hands on people and he said, go and wash in the pool at Solom. As they went, they were healed. There is the going and they're healed. But they have to go. If they don't go, they don't get healed. So it's, it's all how we grow in faith and things, isn't it? It's how we grow. And for us, if we don't see it right away, we tend to think, well, it's not going to happen, is it? You know, that's that then. Barking up the wrong tree, wasn't I? Well, not necessarily. Uh, Romans 11.36 says, Of him and through him and to him are all things. And John 6.44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Finite beings cannot connect with an infinite being without significant help. And that is why we have the Holy Spirit. That's why I've been banging on all this week about getting to know him. Through this week we've been learning to be drawn by him and to him and we're learning to do things his way because he does not do things the way we do them. And he delights in initiating things in our lives. You remember I said about making the first move on us every day? He loves those first few moments where he makes the move on you. And for Monday and Tuesday, he definitely made the first move on me, asked for it again today, and everything imploded. It didn't work like that. <laughs> it just went to pieces today. And there we are, get another chance tomorrow, and I, you know, pick yourself off, dust, dust yourself off, and start all over again. So he loves those few moments. Intimacy draws us into the presence of God and brings us into contact with his holiness and his majesty and that makes us vulnerable. When you come into the presence, whatever is not given over suddenly surfaces 
and you begin to feel incredibly vulnerable. He reaches out to us and moves us step by step. He's patient and kind, just like a father teaching his child to walk. If you remember, those of you who have got little ones, those first few steps are uh, a powerful moment in a, in a parent's life. I can remember with Stephen, he'd hate this if he was here. Sitting him on his potty in the kitchen and thinking he was safe, and suddenly hearing across the kitchen lino and thinking, he's on his feet. <laughs> Off they go and you just know that they're going to fall over. It's all part of their learning to walk. Spiritually it's just the same. We're all learning to walk and we're all falling over from time to time and that's okay. Because the other, we've been looking at principles with God and the first one was that he wants to touch you that you, he touches you and you respond. It's always the same way. He initiates, you respond. And the other one, another principle is that he doesn't measure time but growth. So you could have been a Christian for 50 years but made no growth. He measures growth, he doesn't measure time. So to live in his realm we have to learn this. He initiates, he responds, we respond. And we take as long as we like. He doesn't measure time, he measures growth. He'll wait for you. Though having said that, there's an acceleration, so he's not going to wait as long as he usually does. He's probably going to come and uh, not so much kiss you awake as kick you awake. So he's a God of principles. He initiates, we respond. You'll never, never, never get anywhere initiating something with God or bargaining with him. It's like uh, telling him your plans that will make him laugh. You're funny. On one of Graham's cooks CDs, uh, he says during the prophetic word, you're funny. Sometimes I laugh at you because you're funny. You're just funny. <laughs> I think he finds me funny often. So that's the second principle. He doesn't measure time, he measures growth. Hear people saying, oh, William, I know I've grown over this last year, and I'm thinking... <coughs> says in Corinthians, they measure themselves by themselves and they are not wise. We can't tell how much we've grown. Only he knows. Because only he knows what we need to make us grow. And uh, we don't like often the sort of manure that he puts around <laughs> us to make us grow. <laughs> so we have to be instructed by the Holy Spirit on how to walk with the flow of what God is doing. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. And part of that instruction must be to teach us how God thinks and how he works. If we didn't need him so badly, why did Jesus say, it's better for you if I go, then he can come? He's saying, he's better at the next bit than I am. Because if you think about it, Jesus had his 12 disciples, and that was all that were close to him, and they were with him day and night. But unless he, he replaces himself with someone exactly like himself, which is the paraclete, exactly the same, uh, for each of us, we're not all going to be able to walk with Jesus like that, are we? Only, only the twelve closest are going to hear what he's saying. So it's better if I go, then he can come. So the Holy Spirit indwells every born-again, spirit-filled believer. And he's God's personal gift to us, our own personal trainer. And we must get to know him personally. He's relational. He's with you 24-7. You never need to be without wisdom because he is the spirit of wisdom. You never need to be without knowledge because he's the spirit of knowledge. You remember we looked at uh, Isaiah 11-2 yesterday and I was thinking that I'd brought it up during the Beatitudes. Well, of course, where I brought it up was this today's. I knew I'd seen it somewhere, and I'd already typed it out. <laughs> so Isaiah 11.2 says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. We were looking at the seven-branch candlestick yesterday, and the Spirit of the Lord is the central one, and then you get the twos coming out. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This is the very same spirit who indwells you. The very spirit who raised Jesus from the dead 
and is the spirit who is in you because he's raised us up to be seated with him in heavenly places and we looked at it didn't we the um, dunamos exousia power and in, in Ephesians 2 uh, Paul actually runs out of superlatives to express the power of God have a look at Ephesians 2 I've got my vines expository dictionary down here if anybody wants to look at it afterwards I think it's, uh, it's Ephesians 1 19 and 20 for a start And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He he runs out of the ability to say how powerful this is. And uh, in Ephesians 2, um, verse 6, he says, And he's raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Because it's this exousia, this dunamos, from which we get our word dynamite, this explosive power um, that infills us. I remember when I got filled with the Spirit, I was really aware. I'm going around saying to everybody, it's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And they were going, don't, go on, don't mm. get so excited. Yeah but, yeah, but it's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's that, it's that. You know how you get squashed, can't you, easily? So, what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? And the promises from that uh, battle for intimacy prophecy that I read at the start is that God is going to raise us up again into that place. But not only that place, we're going to be in the place that Lucifer himself vacated when he fell. That's not going to make us very popular. He's not going to like that. He's going to fight that tooth and claw. That's why there is a warfare of intimacy. That's why sometimes you actually feel you are in hand-to-hand combat with an entity, with something. You're head-to-head with something. But God has said he's going to do it. So, I'm sure there are intercessors and worshippers and prophetic in this room now and God is braiding us together and part of what was said at the conference was that intercessors will become worshippers and worshippers will become prophetic as we braid together and move together the, the gifts will move across the gifts because we, we all had a little tiny bit of um, three colour ribbon just braided together stuck to the um, corner uh, of the paper that we were given with the prophecy on it and that is it's working out because from being on the walls the intercessors from being on the walls and fighting from that place are now in the throne room and it's throne room prayer that's coming forth uh, not so much fighting talk as worship and hearing what he's saying and then praying it back to him so we need to return to our roots to basics to understand exactly what happened to us at the moment of conversion sometimes we can get so used to who we are uh, and think that we're moving on maybe or we maybe we don't even think about it uh, what actually happened at the moment of conversion that it was much much more than we could ask or think there was a divine exchange that took place which Satan's worked very hard indeed to keep us from understanding that's why the church is so powerless we don't understand what God wants who he is and what this is all about as I said uh, earlier in the week we need to leave the simple Pentecostal experience of speaking in tongues and I'm not downgrading that I'm saying that the purpose of the indwelling Holy Spirit is much greater than just that you might demonstrate the ability to speak in another language. 
largely the Pentecostal church got stuck in that as I said the other day and largely the charismatic movement got stuck in the gifts and largely the renewal movement has got stuck in the Toronto blessing but God has moved on and we need to understand the true role of the Holy Spirit in the earth today a good prayer is Holy Spirit I need to know you please teach me about yourself I prayed that some years ago and I was astounded by what he showed me I recommend it I was again on holiday down in uh, Devon with a friend of mine and she was working shifts so I didn't get to see her uh, and everywhere I saw spirit filled Bible spirit this and spirit that and I began to feel distinctly uncomfortable that I didn't know who this spirit was that had got plastered all over the Bibles so one night I sat up in bed with a notebook and I said Holy Spirit I don't think I know you um, would you uh, show me who you are please and I sat there with a red pen and a blue pen and every time he spoke I wrote it in red and every time I asked him a question I wrote it in blue and it was a total revelation to me about what he wanted to be for me who he wanted to be who he was what his purpose was just unbelievable I'd attended a Pentecostal church, done all the stuff, attended a charismatic church, moved in the gifts, done all the stuff, but I didn't know anything. So I recommend it. Without him, we're led to strife, frustration, and a performance mindset that is distortion, that we have to break. We have to become dependent, totally reliant on the Holy Spirit. For in Romans 8.14 it says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And I know I keep saying it, and I think it's going to be what our next conference like this is going to be about, in the hands of God. He wants fully mature sons, ones to whom he can entrust his divine checkbook. But we have to go through the process of growing up from Nepios, a child without speech, to Technon, a young child about five or six years old, to Paidon, literally lads, that's what he was always, Jesus was always calling the disciples lads. What's happening then, lads? And finally, Huios, fully mature sons. God is bringing many sons to glory. So we'll just take a short break there if we may. Thank you.